Welcome to New City Sermon Podcast. Join us as we open God's Word to be empowered and challenged today. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you that we can worship you. Wherever we are, we can join our voices and you see every person lifting up their hands and raising their voice to you, our King. We pray that you would be with us here today. We need a deep encouragement from your word and we pray that you would give it to us. We pray that we would see you afresh and in the midst of our challenges and trials and in the midst of this global suffering, you might give us something that encourages us for this week and we know that you will. Your word does not come back void and so we pray today that we would find new courage in you, Jesus, and we would have perseverance through this season. And all God's people said, amen. Well, I'm glad that you have joined us today. We are looking at John chapter 9 as we continue our journey through the book of John. We had actually planned to get into this text before all of this happened, but it's such a great text for all the questions that we have as we walk through a global season of challenges and hardship and suffering. You know, everyone is suffering in some way. We have everything from canceled plans that were really hard to let go of to not being able to see friends and family for a very long time to people having to go to the hospital not knowing whether they will come back or not to people dying. This is a challenging season, and whatever you're going through right now, we are all going through something. And so today, as we ask this tough question that comes to the scriptures, but also comes out of the scriptures, we ask this question, suffering, why? Suffering, why? The great theologian John Stott said this about suffering and the question of suffering when it comes to Christianity Stott said, the fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. Its distribution and degree appear to be entirely random, therefore that is suffering, and therefore unfair. Sensitive spirits ask if it can possibly be reconciled with God's justice and his love. And really, I think what's behind the question of suffering, why, is a deeper question that is, if God, why suffering? If God exists and he's just and all-powerful and loving and good, how in the world could suffering exist? And that has been a challenging question, Stott says, for Christianity to answer. But it's not just a challenge for Christianity to answer. The question of suffering is challenging for any worldview, any religion, challenging for everyone out there. See, even if you believe that God doesn't exist, you still have a challenging question to answer around suffering. Why? Because if God doesn't exist, and it's just this, then we have no basis to say that suffering doesn't belong. Suffering is just the way things are. Survival of the fittest is just the way things work. If this virus wins, then who's to say that's not the way it's supposed to be? And yet all of us go, no, that's not right. 
And so whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, the question of suffering challenges us. But even deeper than that, it's not just suffering why. It's not just if God, why suffering. The deeper question that we're all asking is why am I suffering? And it feels so completely random. And we try and figure out ways to comfort ourselves by saying, well, it could be worse. We, we could be in another country that doesn't have the ventilators. We could be in another country or a region that has it worse. And while that gives us a little bit of perspective to find out that we're not in another situation, it doesn't really help us with our situation. Just to say it could be worse. And so we're still left with these questions. Suffering, why? If God, why suffering? Why am I suffering? We will do our best to go to some of those answers today. And while we won't fall, find all the answers, we will find some perspective from John chapter 9. We're going to be skipping through the passage a little bit. The verses are up on the screen behind me. If you've got a Bible open, John chapter 9 from God's word. As he, Jesus, that's Jesus, was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Why is this man suffering? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from the saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Go, he told them, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seen. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, he's the one. Others were saying, no, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I'm the one. So they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, so I, when I went and washed, I received my sight. Verse 15, then the Pharisees asked the man again how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, I washed, and I can see. Verse 17, again they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. Verse 24, so a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, the, blind, the man born blind who was healed answered, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out of the synagogue. And when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him, he asked. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do not see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? 
If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we sin, your sin remains. The word of God. There is a song that I love that comes out of Central Africa. And it's a song that is so encouraging to sing in the midst of suffering. And the lyrics go like this. Nitam wimbiabwana kwakua yeye aminiona. Aminiona, aminiona, aminiona. And what that means is I will sing to Jesus because he has seen me. He has seen me. In my trials, I will sing to Jesus because in my trials, Jesus sees me. In my suffering, Jesus sees me. In this darkness, Jesus sees me. In fact, I have a video of some people singing it at our old church in St. Louis. We can play that. One of my friends named Steve, who was part of that church, took a trip to Kinshasa in Congo in Central Africa. And uh, Kinshasa is one of the largest cities in Africa. It's the largest city in Congo. To give you some perspective, South Florida in the Tri-County area, we have 6 million people total. Kinshasa has 9 million people total. The Congo is a country that has been through many conflict. They've been taken advantage of by other countries, and it is a challenging place for people to live. And when my friend Steve went from St. Louis to Kinshasa, he was overwhelmed very quickly by the level of suffering that the people were going through in Kinshasa and in Congo. He, he drove around and he saw streets crowded with cars and people just trying to survive. And as he witnessed these things and he saw all the suffering, he quickly felt discouraged. From there, from the car, they went to a church in the Kinshasa area, and he went outside the church to get a breather. And as he was sitting outside of the church, the loudspeakers from in the church were playing some worship music, but he didn't find it comforting because the music was so loud. They play their music very loud in Africa, and he almost felt even more overwhelmed. As he sat there alone and began asking the question that we're asking now, why? Why suffering? If God, why suffering? And as he wrestled with what he was seeing, he began to ask, why am I suffering in the midst of this? But it only got worse because he looked across the street, and across the street from a church was a shack that was falling apart. And there were three women outside of the shack. Two of them were around a fire, and with utensils and pots were cooking on top of the fire and talking. But there was a third woman that captured Steve's attention, and this woman was sitting in a chair that was a makeshift wheelchair. And as Steve looked at her, it began to become obvious that she had some sort of paralysis. Her body was feeble. And there she sat, not even in a real wheelchair, but a makeshift wheelchair, in the mud. 
her wheelchair was in the mud and flies were buzzing around and that just pushed Steve over the edge. He couldn't, he couldn't handle it anymore. He couldn't, he couldn't look around and see the level of suffering and go, where is God? Why are these people suffering? I can't take all this suffering. Does he see? Is he present? And at that moment, not only did he feel overwhelmed, but he felt alone and he began to despair. But at that moment, at that very moment, he heard a song come over the loudspeaker. And though he knew no words in the local language, he recognized one word, Aminionah, Aminionah. God sees. Jesus has seen me. He sees. He's present. He knows. And as the music came past Steve's ears, he began to look up, and the music went across the street to those women sitting outside of the shack, and the women who were cooking had put down their utensils and had begun dancing, singing, He sees us in our suffering. He sees me. He sees me. And the woman, sitting in the makeshift wheelchair, in the midst of being surrounded by mud and flies, took her feeble arms and in worship raised them. Worship raised them. As she heard the word, Jesus sees me in my suffering. He sees me in my wheelchair. He sees me in this mud. And at that moment, Steve's despair, as he witnessed these women worshiping, his despair went to hope. His feeling of overwhelmed went to rest. And his sense of being alone went away because he realized he was not. Jesus saw and was present in the midst of the suffering that he was experiencing and that he was seen. Our story for today tells us that Aminionah is not some cliche. It is true of who Jesus is. We almost skip over the first verse. It says this, As he, Jesus, was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. Let's sit there for just a minute. As Jesus was passing by, it seems extra, like we can just skip, to, skip it and go to the next part of the story. But as he was passing by, reminds us what John has already told in, us in chapter 1, that Jesus is no mere mortal. Jesus was the word. He was in the beginning. He was the creator. But he is the word who became flesh and dwelled among us on our streets He witnessed our suffering. He came near so that the the author could write, as Jesus passed by. And he's not just passing through. He has entered in. He doesn't see our suffering from afar. He has walked our streets and come near. See, many people believe that God sees our suffering but doesn't come near. Different religions have that viewpoint. But what we see in verse 1 is that Jesus came near into the suffering. He was present in the midst of it, and he sees it. But he doesn't just see problems. 
He sees a specific person with a specific problem, a specific suffering. He sees a man who has a specific problem, a specific suffering, that he has been blind from birth. What comfort could it bring you this week to be able to say that Jesus is God, the God who came near, the God who sees problems. He doesn't just see people as problems, but he sees people's specific problems and people's specific suffering. And for you to be able to believe that and say, Aminiona, he doesn't just see the man born blind. He sees everyone, and he sees my specific suffering. What would it do for you to be able to, in the midst of working in the hospital this week, as you see suffering around you, to be able to say, Aminiona, what would it do for you as the kids scream and you try and balance parenting and working and tutoring them to say, Omenionah? What, what would it do for you as you hear of friends who have gotten this disease to say, Omenionah, and for them, Omenionah? He sees. He's not distant from suffering. He has entered into a world full of suffering and seen the sufferings that you and I bear. The Bible is full of examples of Jesus seeing suffering. He sees individuals suffering, and he sees our suffering as the church. Paul, who had a serious problem in his life, was able to rest in the fact that Jesus Christ saw his suffering. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul writes, Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord time that it, my suffering, would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Jesus Christ saw Paul's suffering and spoke to him about it. And Paul was able to say, therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me in the midst of my suffering. Jesus sees individual suffering, but he also sees our suffering as, as the church. In the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verse 8 and following, it says, Thus says the first and the last, thus says Jesus, the one who was dead and came to life, I know your affliction and poverty, but you are rich. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will experience affliction for 10 days. Be faithful. Be faithful to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus is not unaware of our suffering as the church. Jesus sees the suffering of the church and speaks words of both encouragement and perseverance to us in the midst of our collective suffering together. And so whatever you wrestle with this week, whether it's loneliness because you cannot see your children or your family, say aminiona. Whether you look around and you see the numbers growing and growing and the curve, want, you want the curve to be flatter, but it's just not yet. Say, Omenia He sees me. He's present. He's not distant from the, the suffering of this world, but he sees and he knows. Verse 2, they ask questions. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? 
They see this man who has been blind his entire life, and they're trying to make sense of it. And what they're trying to really do is they go, this can't be God's fault. If God is good and God is just, then, then this man uh, wasn't born blind for no reason. His parents must have done something that offended God, and him being blind is punishment for their sins. Or, or maybe he did something which doesn't really make any sense because he was born blind unless he sinned somehow grievous, grievously in the womb. It doesn't make sense. It's interesting because the disciples are almost talking about a form of karma. In other words, what goes around comes around. Uh, what you did in a previous life comes back to you in this life. And many people believe in karma. The challenge with believing in karma is it doesn't really give us a good basis to reject the suffering we see. And here's what I mean. Dr. Tim Keller in that video that he put up uh, that, was, that we're going to talk about on Thursday night, he said if you believe in a system of karma, then all suffering is deserved. All suffering is just. If what goes around comes around, then what's coming to you right now, according to karma, is deserved. But you and I hear that and go, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't, I can't reckon with that. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem fair at all. And you and I would be right because suffering seems so much more random than that. It's hard to even figure out how it works or if suffering is deserved. We hope you're inspired by God's word. What have you learned so far? As you listen, pray about applying it to your life. Let's continue in God's word. The Bible does have answers for suffering, though. In the midst of this question the disciples ask, we can actually provide answers about suffering. We could tell the disciples that we are broken people who live in a broken world. The world was not made this way. The world was made perfectly full of shalom and harmony and love. But when Adam and Eve sinned against God and, and their fellowship was broken with God, sin entered the world and everything became fractured. Now the world is like a mirror that has been broken. And you can still see pieces of the way that things were supposed to be, but it's not the way it's supposed to be. Because everything has been broken and fractured. And so we, when we look at suffering, we can, we can say as Christians, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the way it was designed. This isn't the way it was meant to be. But we can also recognize some of the randomness and unfairness of suffering in a sense. In the book of Job, Job in the very first chapter is stricken with unbelievable suffering. He loses everything, his family, his friends, his possessions, his health, every, everything is gone. And, and there's, no, there's nothing in the book that says he deserved it. He's never able to even understand why he does suffer. And yet he comes to this place in the midst of suffering that seems unfair and unjust. He comes to this place of rest where he just goes, God is still in control. And that doesn't mean he handles the suffering like someone who's stoic. He wrestles and he whines and he complains and he cries. But in that, he is pointing his complaints and his wrestling and his crying towards the Lord. 
And from the book of Job, we learn that sometimes suffering is undeserved, and yet God is still in control. And Job, in verse 21 of the first chapter, says this about his suffering. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will leave this life. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We could also look at what Jesus says in Luke, chapter 13. And in Luke 13, Jesus reminds us all that there is more to this life than this life. There there is a life that is to come where we will meet our creator face to face. In Luke 13, uh, some people in power did an incredible injustice against other people and killed them. And also, in, in a complete accident, a tower falls over and kills several people. And the disciples and people come to Jesus and ask him about these events. And Jesus says, listen, this did not happen to those people. Those people were not victims because they were more sinful than anybody else. That's not the reason it happened. But in this, it is a reminder, Jesus says, unless you repent, you will all perish. And while those are hard words from Jesus, they are true words from Jesus. That as you and I look around and see suffering and death and darkness, it is a reminder to us in the midst of our suffering that there is more to this life than this life. You and I will come face to face with a creator one day. And our lives are so fragile, we don't know if that could be today or in a week or in a year or 50 years. But as a reminder that right now we have to address those issues. Suffering reminds us in our frailty that we cannot wait to get right with God through Jesus Christ. Today is the day of salvation. But maybe most hopeful for us is a reminder that if you know Jesus, whatever you're going through, whatever trial or hardship or suffering that you're facing right now, there is purpose in the pain. There is purpose in the pain. See, oftentimes we try and avoid suffering with everything that we have because we feel like it is purposeless. It's actually keeping us from being who we think we ought to be. It's keeping us from the story of our lives. But the Christian faith says, no, God often uses the pain for a purpose. And that purpose is often to grow us and make us more mature like Jesus Christ. James writes in James chapter 1, Consider it a great joy, my brothers, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. The point is that, not that we're sadistic and we love pain, but rather the pain isn't pointless, it has a purpose, that God takes the worst things that we go through and uses it to grow us and to mature us and make us more like Jesus who was a man of sorrows and suffering. There is purpose in the pain. The Bible gives all those answers that we live in a broken world, that sometimes suffering's not fair and yet we can still trust God and there's more to this life than, this, than we see in this life and that there's purpose in the pain. There's all those answers are true and real. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't answer the question, suffering, why? The disciples say, whose fault is this? And Jesus doesn't answer their question. He says something very different. Verse 3. 
Neither this man nor his parents sinned. In other words, it's no one's fault. Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. We must do the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. How interesting that Jesus says there's really no cause and effect here. There's no formula. His parents sinned this much, and so God brought this suffering. That's not what's at work here at all. But Jesus says something that's almost shocking. As you look at this man born blind, God is here in this. God is here in this. You were trying to ask a question in a way that would avoid putting blame on God. And yet I'm telling you that God is here in this because what's happening and what's about to happen in this man's life is an opportunity for everyone to see God more clearly. First of all, to see God's mercy and power to this man, God's mercy and power to this man. Can you imagine being this man and maybe for the whole, your whole life people have come up to you and said, who sinned, you or your parents, that you were born blind? And then to hear this person that you can't see, this, this one named Jesus that maybe you'd heard about, you'd heard people on the street talking about, saying it's no one's fault, but this is here, this situation exists so that God could work. What would you think? to hear someone speak that word over you. And, and then as verse 6 through 8 tells us, to next hear the sound of spit going down onto the ground and hearing someone's fingers grind the dirt in their hand and then to feel someone touch your eyes with, with wet dirt that had become mud and then to hear these words, go and wash. What would you think? What would you think in that moment? Is this going to work? Or someone's tried this before? I don't know. We don't know. But the man, familiar with the pathway to the pool of Siloam, goes. And as he washes his eyes off, he finds that as the dirt slides off his eyelids, he can see through. And there are light, and there are people, and there are buildings. His sight has been healed by Jesus. This happened so that this man might see God's mercy and power in the midst of his blindness. But I think it's also there so that you and I would be reminded of God's greater story. The language here is interesting that John uses. Um, it reminds us as Jesus reaches down and spits in the ground and gathers the mud, it reminds us of the beginning of the Bible when it says that God formed man out of the dust of ground, out of the dust of the ground. It reminds us of God's creation of the world and that when Jesus comes, he is the king of the new creation. In the midst of darkness and death, he is bringing light and life. You and I have tough situations that we are walking through, sickness and death and darkness. But maybe, just maybe, we need to get our eyes off exactly what we're going through in this moment and be more aware that God is still writing his story. That Jesus has come into this broken world and promised to make all things new. 
And here's the thing, that's, that's tough on us to recognize in the moment, but it actually is happening. The more people I talk to, the more their eyes are being opened to see God afresh. The more that Jesus is bringing spiritual renewal in our hearts in the midst of all these problems and all these sufferings. And it's not just that we go, well, Jesus is working, so that weighs out a little bit more. You know, I guess the suffering's worth it because what Jesus is doing is more important. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that when Jesus steps into this broken world full of darkness, he changes the storyline so that there is a brand new trajectory for this broken world. And what we learn is, though we are in this chapter, a final chapter is coming when Jesus will make all things new and God's love and his goodness and his power will win the day and suffering will be crushed forever. Revelation 21 tells us that suffering has an expiration date. When you and I meet Jesus face to face, when we come before the throne of God and he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more crying or pain or sin or suffering. No more. And while we long for that chapter of the story, we are in the story. We are in this chapter of the story. The one that you and I are experiencing right now in late March of 2020. But in this story that we are in, right now, in this chapter of this story, God is working new creation in this world. As, as we watch the number of, of people dying grow, as, as we struggle with how to parent our kids at home, as we go searching for things at supermarkets that used to be so easy to get, in the midst of that darkness and struggle and suffering, Jesus is still bringing new creation into our lives. Outwardly, we are wasting away, but inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. How many of you have experienced a deeper dependence on God during this season? That is new creation working in you. How many of you have experienced a deeper love for your family and your friends and people that are part of your spiritual family? That is new creation working in us. How many of you have experienced a deeper longing for Jesus to return and make all things new? That longing is new creation working in us. And so while we are in this chapter of the story, be reminded that our call is to be mindful of the whole story and that one day suffering will end forever. We see God's mercy and power in this man's life, and, and the, the language reminds us to see God's greater story, but most importantly, we're reminded to see God's son. I mean, that's really the point of this story. It's interesting because the man born blind is relieved of his blindness by Jesus, but then there's actually a new suffering that begins for him. Uh, even though he's allowed to see, what he sees is his community questioning him are you the guy born blind? And he's like, yeah, that's me. And they don't believe him. And he's like, no, it is me. But even worse than that, he is brought before the Pharisees. He's brought before the religious leaders. And who, who, they ask, who did this? Who healed you? And he said, Jesus. And they don't believe him. In fact, he sticks with his story. Look, I, I, I don't know what exactly what happened. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. And they say, guess what? You're out of the synagogue. And they kick him out. 
though his blindness was relieved, he entered a new season of suffering. suffering. He was thrown out. But what I missed in the story until yesterday was that in this process, he has still not laid his healed eyes on Jesus. You remember that he heard Jesus, and he was touched by Jesus, and then he was sent by Jesus, and then as soon as he went to the pool and washed his eyes, he was healed, but he still has not laid his healed eyes on Jesus. And then Jesus approaches him. Jesus hears that he's been kicked out of the synagogue, and in verse 35 and 36, the high point of the story happens. Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man. The Son of Man is a figure that we find in the book of Daniel, and it was this divine human, this divine godlike figure that was also human-like who would come and with great power would rule over the nations and sovereignly rule over all things. And Jesus asked this man, do you believe? Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him. And knowing that this man has heard Jesus and been touched by Jesus and not yet seen Jesus, he's believed he's a prophet or maybe a man of God, and then he hears about this figure, the Son of Man, Jesus says, you have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man says, I believe, Lord, and he worshiped him. The high point of this story is not that this man's suffering was relieved, although that's an important point of the story. The high point of the story is when the man sees the one who has relieved his suffering. The high point of this story is not that his eyes were opened by Jesus, but when his eyes were opened to Jesus. Not when he could just see, but when he could see and Jesus' face came in to focus. And he sees Jesus and he worships. And Jesus does not reject his worship because he is God. And I wonder if there could be something for us there as well. You know, it's so important, and I want you to take this week, that Jesus sees you in your suffering. But just as important as this In our suffering, do you see him? Do you see him? Now, if you're a Christian, that means uh, maybe Jesus is coming more and more clearer in your view. But if you're not a Christian and you're just tuning in, this popped up in your Facebook feed, I want you to hear me say this. If you want to be equipped to really walk through suffering with peace and hope and joy, you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to turn away from running your life. You need to recognize that your life is frail and look to the one who is over suffering, who can heal suffering. I am telling you that today is the day that you need to become a Christian and start following Jesus Christ. Because what's so important from this story is not just that this man's eyes were open and that he was healed, but that his eyes were open to Jesus, the one who healed. 
And I know everyone out there wants relief from suffering, and maybe it will end tonight, maybe it will end in a year. I don't know. But I do know this. The most important decision that you have to make is will you open your eyes to see Jesus Christ? And I'll be honest with you. During this time, the message of Jesus or telling you to look to Jesus, I know that some people hear that and say, that seems irrelevant to the suffering that is going on in the world. And I understand where you're coming from. And it does seem irrelevant. Unless in actually seeing him, it gives you unbelievable perspective in your suffering. In seeing Jesus... It actually gives you perspective in your suffering. By Jesus saying that he is the son of man, he is saying that he is the one in control of all things, that he has everlasting dominion and he will return one day and end all suffering. But it's not just that Jesus Christ is over suffering. He is the one who will endure the worst suffering. Jesus has already told us this. I am the light of the world, but the night is coming. And by saying the night is coming, he's referring to his upcoming suffering. He's he's referring to his own death for our sin on the cross. Jesus is saying a night is coming And on that night, he was betrayed, he was arrested, and he was paraded through an absurd, unjust trial. A darkness was coming for him where he was spit on, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was publicly mocked and stripped naked. A suffering is coming for Jesus, the true king, because he will hang on the cross. He will endure ultimate pain, he will go through death, and ultimately be separated from God the Father. That is what's coming. That is the darkness. That is the night that is approaching him. But he went through that suffering for you and for me so that you and I could be saved, but that by believing in what Jesus in Jesus and what he went through on our behalf, we would not have to experience eternal separation from God and experience eternal suffering. Jesus underwent the wrath of God against sin so that you and I could be relieved and reconciled from ultimate eternal suffering. See, it's not just that Jesus is over suffering. He actually went into suffering on purpose for you and for me. And there's something strange that that does in our hearts when we take it in and we rest in it. It actually gives us perspective and hope and peace in the midst of whatever we're facing in this life. You need to be praying for healthcare workers. They have some very tough decisions and they're in very uh, dark scenarios. And I was talking to one healthcare worker this week, and this person was just wrestling. It was a wrestle. They saw death around them, they had limited supplies. And every decision they made felt like life was hanging in the balance. And as they saw, as they saw death and darkness, it just was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. But there was something that happened in the, in the midst of being in the hospital, in the, midst of, in the midst of seeing suffering and being present in suffering. And that was this. In the midst of all that, 
they saw Jesus more clearly. They saw Jesus more clearly, the, the one who came near to suffering, but didn't just come near suffering, underwent suffering, chose to undergo suffering on behalf of you and on behalf of me. And in the midst of experiencing suffering and seeing Jesus more clearly through the suffering, there was peace and there was courage and there was spiritual renewal for this person, even though death and darkness were growing around him. And in seeing Jesus, and seeing the one who's over-suffering and suffered for you, as you see him this week, might you find courage and peace and renewal in this difficult season. Let's pray to the one who can end all suffering. Jesus, we long for you and we love you. We thank you that you are our king. And we just pray for spiritual renewal in our lives. We pray that our eyes might be opened to you, to see you. We ask, by your mercy, you would end the suffering. But we know even if the suffering continues, you are still in control and you are still God and you still see us and you yourself went through suffering for us. And so we pray as we close now, that you would deeply encourage us and renew us. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to New City Sermon Podcast. For more information, check us out at www.newcityhh.com. We'll see you next week.